0: From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. This week, for the first time in history, the Dow Jones closed above 23,000. It's noteworthy not just for hitting that milestone, but because it coincides with the anniversary of one of the bleakest days on the market. 30 years ago this week, the Dow Jones suffered its biggest one-day percentage drop ever. As a part of our series Crash Course, reporter Alexandra Starr looks at the response to that crisis and what it says about today's financial system. Imagine the Dow Jones dropping 4,600 points today, losing about a fourth of its value. That's basically what happened on October 19th, 1987. Then we had what always happens after a crisis. Congress held hearings. Here's former Congressman Ed Markey of Massachusetts. He's now a senator. We have now had five months to absorb the shattering experience which befell our financial markets during October of 1987. What have we learned? A blue ribbon task force was convened to answer that question. It was chaired by Nicholas Brady. Shortly afterwards, he became Treasury Secretary. We must act to prevent a reoccurrence of the events of October. We are looking down the barrel and the gun is still loaded. Brady was trying to scare Congress into imposing new regulations. And he had good reason to be worried. During the 1980s, the futures market had transformed. It was originally created as a place for farmers to lock in prices for their crops. Doing this could protect them from forces beyond their control, like bad weather or locusts. It was a way to hedge. It started out with grain and then expanded to products like cotton and pork bellies. In 1982, a new product was introduced, one that didn't have much to do with agriculture. It was called the S&P Futures Contract. It gives you a right to speculate in the future direction of stock prices. That's Diana Enriquez. She's the author of a new book about the 1987 crash. It's called A First Class Catastrophe. With the creation of this new financial product, the futures market and the stock market became intimately connected— But the people in charge didn't really acknowledge that. When we came into the 80s, we were operating under this illusion that these markets were all separate. Futures trading happened mostly on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Stocks were mostly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Even without overt cooperation, the prices of stocks and futures contracts usually didn't diverge much. Until they did. So in New York, you're telling me the S&P 500 is trading at um, 250. But in Chicago, they say the S&P will soon be trading at 100. I'm not buying in New York, thank you. The declining futures price became a billboard, warning people, lower stock prices are coming. In the October 1987 crash, the prices got so low that the futures market had to halt trading for a few hours. And it looked like the stock market wasn't far behind. New York was very close to being forced to close because they just couldn't find any buyers for the stocks. It was a dramatic moment that everybody involved up close remembers vividly to this day. Nicholas Brady had a solution to make sure this didn't happen again. Unified regulation must be our goal. It's simple common sense that when there is one market, there should be one regulator. He's referring to the fact that stocks are regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. Futures are overseen by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC. And they didn't confer much. No other developed country as a separate stock market regulator from a financial futures regulator. It just makes no sense at all. That's James Angel, a professor at Georgetown University. He says there is a political incentive for keeping our balkanized system. The CFDC reports to the agriculture committees, and the SEC reports to the banking committees in Congress. And those Congress critters don't want to give up the power that they get from having those regulators report to them because that means that they get lots of campaign contributions from you know the people who appear before those committees. So Brady didn't get his single regulator. Richard Silla is a financial historian formerly of New York University. He can think of only one change after 1987. The stock exchange itself put in what were called circuit breakers, like if the market fell too much, uh, they would shut it down to so give people a chance to cool off. Congress later made that change into law. That was about the extent of government response. Silla has a theory as to why. There was no great economic crisis after the stock market crash. The stock market did make up the losses in less than two years. So even after hearings and recommendations, tougher regulation did not follow. In fact, the opposite happened. Simon Johnson is a professor of economics at MIT. The philosophy of the Reagan administration but also of the George uh, H. W. Bush administration and the Clinton administration was deregulation will give us higher growth, just get out of the way. This light-touch approach ended up having severe consequences, especially when it came to Wall Street banks. Bear Stearns today leading the tumble on Wall Street. It's going to be one of the watershed days in financial markets history. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy. The 2008 meltdown was the worst since the Great Depression. People lost their homes, unemployment hit 10 percent. This time, Congress and the president did act. These reforms represent the strongest consumer financial protections in history. In history. The bill, known as Dodd-Frank, put big banks on a shorter leash. They now have to maintain a larger cash cushion to guard against losses and a potential bailout. They also are prohibited from using their own money on speculative trades. That's about the banks. Something the government has not subjected to the same scrutiny are the markets themselves where the trades are happening. There are about five dozen places a stock order can be fulfilled in the U.S. today. That's the modern marketplace. Again, Diana Enriquez. In the 1980s, 90% of trading happened on the New York Stock Exchange. Today, it's about 14%. One place where trading is happening is on private exchanges or dark pools. We need more sunshine on that part of the financial world. Those exchanges, after all, help determine the value of the stocks that are in our IRAs and 401ks. But it's highly unlikely the government will clamp down on dark pools or impose more regulation in general. As Simon Johnson points out, the Trump administration is giving signs of moving in the opposite direction. They seem to be pushing back. We're trying to wind the clock back, if anything, to, to the years of 2003, 2005. Don't worry, be happy. And they seem to be queuing things up for a, a pretty large push on the deregulatory front. The argument for doing so is that regulations are curbing economic growth. But if there is another stock market crash, and then we have congressional hearings and a blue-ribbon panel to investigate what happened, a familiar culprit could emerge. Insufficient regulation. Alexandra Starr, WNYC News.